Welcome back to What's on Your Mind. I'm Dr. Gene Bresson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Well, today we're going to be talking about a topic which is very disturbing and distressing, but important and I think really relevant to um, a lot of folks out there. We're uh, delighted to have Ali Safran as our guest. Ali's story is having been sexually assaulted uh, in high school and having gone through a really traumatic time. But we want to hear about what happened to her when she got into college and and the aftermath of a sexual assault. And... um, the good news is is that she's she's come out of this doing incredibly well. In fact, one of the things she's done is she's created a website called Surviving in Numbers, and the organization Together for Girls, which is a branch of the United Nations, named her one of 50 global heroes for ending sexual violence. So what a privilege, and um, thanks for coming, Ellie. Thanks for having me. And just for the record, I think this is the first global hero I've ever met. <laughs> this is kind of cool. Um, Thanks. You're welcome. Um, but we know it's a hard thing to talk about, so, but, but also, as Jean said, super important. So um, what happened? Uh, so yeah, during the fall of my senior year of high school, right during my college application process, I was sexually assaulted by my close friend. Um, and at first, I really didn't want to do sort of the typical things you might think about. I didn't want to go to the police, didn't want to go to the hospital, told a few close friends and my brother, didn't tell my parents, um, and eventually decided to report after he kept harassing me um, and after I'd found out that he assaulted or harassed other people. So eventually I did report, and that sort of took the first year of college for me to sorry, I should slow down and think about a real sentence here. Um, okay, so, then it is extended into my first year of college that I was going through the legal process and pursuing that. Now, as I understand it, you had a tough time at a college that a local college in Boston, and you actually transferred because of the difficulties. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened when you got to college? Sure. So when I got to college, I was still engaged in the legal process. It had really just started about a month before entering college. Um, so I was still having a lot of post-traumatic stress symptoms having to see my perpetrator a lot in court, and it made college very difficult, especially dorm living uh, and going to class. So my school was not super helpful in terms of assisting me when I asked for accommodations around that. Wait, so you you were in a co-ed floor? (laughs) Yes. And felt that you really wanted to be on a floor that was just same sex? Uh, It wasn't so much that I wanted to go to a floor that was same-sex because I had heard not great things about those floors, too. It was really just the environment in general, I think, was really stressful for me to be around, uh, to be living with men of my age, and also just to be dealing with all of the legal process and still living at school. And what kind of accommodations were you looking for? I was really just looking to move home because I would be going to court a lot of the time and living in a dorm was really difficult. There were a lot of unexpected loud noises, just things that really set off my post-traumatic stress, so I wanted to move out and move to a quieter environment. Well, let's just take a second here. You've mentioned the PTSD a few times. It's a fairly specific, you know, set of symptoms that come about. What what were you experiencing exactly? Yeah, so I was definitely having a lot of flashbacks, um, a lot of difficulty sleeping, I would say, was the main problem, which definitely came partly from my dorm situation, but also like sort of the unexpected loud noises um, and people moving around all the time that comes with that. But also just really the interference with my daily life, I would say, again, sort of the flashbacks as well as the stress about going to court all the time. 
So the so the symptoms of PTSD, the re-experiencing, the hypervigilance, the yep. constriction, all of that was kept alive because you kept having to go to court, which, which felt like the right thing to do, but it also made school that much harder, it yep. sounds like. Yeah, definitely. Sort of normal college situations were very difficult for me because I was also pursuing the legal process at the same time. Now, wow. that, that must be pretty common for uh, for other young women or men who were assaulted. What have you learned? What, what helped? Yeah. So in terms of helping my post-traumatic stress symptoms, I definitely, I think counseling was a huge help for me, as well as having a good support system of friends who were really able to listen um, and get it when I wanted to talk about it and put it away when I didn't want to talk about it. Sort of not having to be surrounded by it all the time was very helpful. And transferring. You yes. Want, now, why did you transfer? <laughs> yes, I also transferred. That was also helpful. Um, so I really felt like my school didn't do what it could have at a very basic level to help me when I needed their help. Um, and I also really wanted to move further away from my perpetrator. So so getting to the, what schools can do. We know from the Center for Disease Control that one in five students is sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. And... In your estimation, your college didn't do enough. And frankly, from what I've read, most colleges are not doing enough. Although right now, I mean, they're at least aware of it and it's in the news and they're talking about making changes. What did you need that wasn't provided? Sure. Um, so college, my college, I think, had less of a responsibility to me than colleges do to students who are assaulted on their campus. But I really just was hoping to be able to really have the basic decency of asking to move out and letting them, uh, having them let me do that. Since I wasn't asking to get my tuition refunded or my housing refunded, I really just hoped to move off campus to like a more quiet and safer environment. They wouldn't, they wouldn't let freshmen move off campus? They, I, I'm not sure if it was freshmen or just once you're in your housing contract, it's very difficult for some reason for them to let you out of it. So it was really only like a letter from a doctor didn't help. It was really only because my mom knew a board member that they eventually did let me out of my contract. It's interesting. It speaks to uh, probably something you've experienced. There's a, there's a kind of fundamental stigma associated with this. I mean, you know, if you'd been in a, God forbid, in a car accident, and couldn't live in your dorm, nobody would have batted an eye. But but here you're dealing with, you know, the sexual assault, going to court, and the school, all, I'm trying not to vilify the school here, but I'm wondering if the school was representative of the sort of larger culture, the sort of willingness to just turn away, yep. to, to turn a blind eye. Yep, definitely, I would agree. No individual school should be vilified in my eyes. I think everybody, like, is part of a system that's doing it wrong at the moment and sort of mirrors our larger society, I think, including our legal system that doesn't take sexual violence seriously. See, see this is so, so I went to college in the 80s, and I remember we had, we had the talks about sexual uh, violence, sexual harassment, sexual assault. They're almost identical to what I've seen as the, the current lectures at, at various universities, you know, among the patients I've taken care of and things like that. And yet it doesn't sound like it's changed that much. Yeah. Definitely. Um, For example, there were rape lists made at Brown, like people writing the names of perpetrators in bathroom walls in the 1990s. um, And that's happening again now at Columbia. So sort of institutional memory, I think, is really important. And schools sort of bank on activists graduating and letting the issue die down. So I know that you've called a number of colleges and working on your website to find out what they're doing. In your own experience, you know, what are colleges doing? What did you find out by calling a number of colleges? And and what could be done that's not being done right now? 
Sure. So um, in terms of calling the colleges, I called a few, like probably 15 colleges in the area to figure out what their mental health services were like for people who sought counseling after an assault on or off campus. And some schools either didn't know if they had a procedure or protocol for it or didn't know what that was. And other schools only offered sort of a limited number of counseling sessions for students and then forced them to go elsewhere, sort of seeking outside counseling that not all students can afford. So I think that's a really important thing to note, that schools really have a basic responsibility to keep students safe in terms of mental health, too, and could definitely be providing more of that um, instead of just sticking really to a protocol, a contract, um, meeting students' needs, I think is really important. That's pretty cool that that you put all of this together. And I, I, I got to ask, so you got an email from the United Nations? <laughs> like, what is it? From, like? Yeah. What does that look like? Like, Is it like <laughs> at UN.org or what is it? So <laughs> Together for Girls, um, the organization, I think, is a branch off the UN. So I don't believe it was from a UN address, although I could be remembering wrong. Um, but really, it just said, like, congratulations, we've named you to this list of 50 global heroes ending sexual violence. And I looked at the list and was really honored to be among some really amazing, well-known world leaders, honestly. And I'm really like thought of myself as a college student just doing this uh, because I care about it. So it was definitely an honor. That's, I mean, as as a um, as a dad of two daughters, one who's in high school, one who will enter high school soon. This is so important to me, and I'm so uh, grateful that you're doing this. I'm grateful the UN's willing to recognize it, but more importantly, I think it's it's the folks on the ground. You know, it's really the grassroots efforts. And as you point out, colleges might you know less than consciously bank on folks graduating and then kind of leaving it behind. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's a recipe for it just being perpetuated. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so one of the things about your website that's, I think, very important is that you're providing a forum for people to actually tell their stories or get support? I mean, mm-hmm. what, what, what are you actually, what are you doing and how is it helping others? Sure. So the online component of Surviving in Numbers involves people sharing their stories anonymously um, through a Google Doc, really, submitting their numbers of their story, number of people they told or number of months it's been or however they're choosing to frame it um, and submitting that list of numbers to me and then I turn it into a poster. I've also run workshops on different campuses where people make their posters in person because the online component, I have no way of knowing who someone is. Um, And that's really to protect their confidentiality because, as you said earlier, it's such a stigmatized issue in our culture even still with all the attention on it now. Um, So the offline component of Surviving in Numbers involves me working mainly with high schoolers around prevention, um, as well as some bystander intervention techniques, but really focusing on not just getting a victim away in that situation, but also calling out the perpetrator so they don't just move on to another victim, um, as well as teaching them how to support peers who might come to them and disclose being assaulted and sort of thinking about anti-victim blaming things to say. Which is really important. As I've understood some of the research on this, only a small percentage, maybe a quarter of, of people who've been assaulted actually will report it. Why is that? Yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons people don't report. Some can be, I think a big one is fear of being disbelieved, even by friends, but definitely by the system and police. I think police are pretty well known for not really taking sexual violence seriously. So those are definitely the two big reasons, I would say. But there are certainly a number of factors people can have 
including fear of retaliation by the perpetrator. Not wanting to get the perpetrator in trouble is definitely common, especially with young people who are assaulted and don't want to report. Um, so a lot of reasons go into that, I think. How about blaming the victim, you know, yeah. that the victim brought it on? Yeah, definitely. I think people are often sort of, again, with the fear of being disbelieved can also include fear of being blamed for it, like someone telling them they were asking for it in some way. So do you think that your website actually empowered or allowed victims to actually tell their stories and, in a sense, anonymously report it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely focused on anonymous reporting because I don't know who they are. Some people, for one example, someone submitted to me and said, I share this with you now because you'll never know my face. So again, sort of thinking about that stigma, um, people don't want to be known as victims. So my website is allowing them to share anonymously and sometimes empowers them to report to police or friends or whoever they choose to after that. You know, a couple things come to mind. One one serious question, one a little bit more frivolous, I guess. So the serious question, I wonder about social media, and I wonder whether that's actually made this problem worse or better. You know, the fact that photos can be taken, films can be made, and we've seen these awful websites yeah. where people will sort of videotape these horrific events. Do you think that's played a role in this? I guess that's a leading question. but yeah. <laughs> um, I think so. Even today, for example, someone who took pictures of a girl in Canada who um, was assaulted and people took pictures of it and distributed that and she then um, tried to kill herself, that person was not punished, not even given probation just today. So I think that definitely contributes to, to the culture that is accepting of it. People know that perpetrators won't be punished. And people also sort of that trickles down into the larger culture where then people disbelieve victims too. Okay, so, so it all spins down. And the other question I wanted to ask you is, did you watch Veronica Mars? Did I did. You? Okay, so the first season, <laughs> yeah. it, it sort of centered around the fact that, you yeah. know, there was this one murder case, but then she had herself mm-hmm. been assaulted. Mm-hmm. And she, as tough as she was, <laughs> yeah. she wouldn't tell anybody, yeah. including her dad, who yeah. was, you know, a detective. And, and it was all based around that stigma. That was actually the thing that got my daughter and me talking about yeah. it. I mean, did it feel real to you that, that I mean, obviously yeah. it's a silly yeah. TV show, but still. No, I've, I've loved that show um, since I was like a young teenager watching that. I definitely think that's a realistic um, as well as sort of the larger point of Veronica trying to get justice in her own way, I think. I've definitely taken inspiration from that too. That's cool. So one, one final um, question uh, as we have to wrap up, but what can college campuses do to actually make it more acceptable to report to prevent sexual violence rather than, as Steve was pointing out, you know, we all know our kids get these, you know, standard lectures on what to do and what not to do. That doesn't seem to be making a difference. So how can we actually change the culture, particularly on college campuses, but in general? Yeah, I think there needs to be a lot more education at a younger age, first of all, in terms of prevention um, and calling people out and helping change the culture in that way. Sort of those young people who are on the ground not having ideas around someone deserving it and thinking about ways they can support someone since statistically we know someone will know someone who's been assaulted, whether or not they know that about them. Um, and in terms of encouraging reporting, I think college campuses could also do a lot better to make themselves seem and actually be a friendly resource as opposed to sort of a hostile environment for reporting, making sure students know that they have a choice in how far their case goes if they choose to drop it or if they choose to not have the perpetrator punished, making sure students know that there are resources for them I think is really important in that. 
And we need more mental health, certified mental health and trained mental health counselors on campuses because the numbers are astonishingly low. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of um, campus mental health practitioners aren't even trained in sort of basic trauma response for sexual assault either. So that can also be hugely important. Ali, I want to thank you for coming and being so forthright about this issue. I think you're making a huge contribution and you certainly deserve the Hero Award. I hope that listeners will take this very seriously. I know some college campuses around the country are at least saying they're taking it seriously, but actually the proof is going to be in doing something uh, and getting the resources for better counseling, for better services, for more accommodations, for making the culture one where people can feel safe and safe to, safe to talk about it and report. Thank you very much. And um, if anybody wants more information, please visit Surviving in Numbers where you can see for yourself what's out there. And uh, do uh, come to the website, read the blog, and give us any of your comments. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman. Thanks very much. 